Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever we are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Michael Zalavari, and today we are reviewing the Asian Le Mans series season for 2019 and 2020. Yes, I know it's been a little while, but we're catching up slowly. Uh, joining me today is both Austin Zetsman slash Cookie Monster. Hello, Cookie. Evening. Evening, evening, and also our obscure racing friend, Chris, Chris Washer. Well, good to have you back, Chris. Hey. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. Mm. Um, since, you know, the elephant in the room happened, I've been having quite a lot of time recently. Unfortunately, so I was able to get out here today. Yeah, unfortunately, though, there is no more obscure racing for you to track down for us, because all the racing has been cancelled. Yep. Yep. I mean, there is, yep. uh, there, yeah. I, I'm still trying. I am still trying. <laughs> yeah, if, if they have, like, a kart race with live timing in some spot, I don't know, randomly in some country, you'll probably figure it out and find it, won't you? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably be like, hey... And OT racing in the Discord. Hey, there's live timing. <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not desperate. I mean, I think we all are at this stage. It's been. I don't know about you guys, but for me, like with all the sport that's been cancelled around the world, it's basically like, well, what do I do with my life now? What 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 is the meaning of life without sport? So yeah, it's been. This has been a weird time around the world, uh, and it's only going to get weirder because this is like the new normal for the next six months. Yeah, well, at least racing series are kind of wising up and posting old stuff. Um, if you're looking for officially uploaded old races, they're in pretty good quality. Uh, NASCAR, IndyCar, or they'll have to go on the IndyCar website every what, every Thursday, so they don't put them. Um, they only put them as unlisted. Oh, that's um, annoying. Avo, which is the Uruguay Racing Ch- Championship, they upload old races. And they had a couple of races from the 2010 season where they had the Punta del Este street circuit. That was before Formula E came to town. What? Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That, like, it's tr- straight away. Then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Super GT is pretty much uploading, like, a new race every day. Awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, we've already gotten off track straight away, which is great. Um, but we'll talk a bit more about that in a future episode when we decide what the hell we're actually going to do with this podcast in the interim. But for the moment, we're going to go back and look to a series that actually did finish and did get all of its running in, and that was the Asian Le Mans series. So before we start and look back on the series, I just want to get a few comments from the both of you. On the whole... How did you think the Asian Le Mans series went this year? Let's not talk about results. Let's not not talk about like specifics of teams and drivers and whatever. But just on the whole, as a viewing experience, did you enjoy watching the Asian Le Mans series this year? It's been enjoyable. Um, I will say that you know, I it was really only much needed you know entertainment because there's really nothing else on because it has that good spot and calendar where yep. you know not, nothing much gets in the way. If this was in the middle of the of a busy summer, I wouldn't put it at the top of my watch list. But it was it was decent for where it was in the calendar, and um, it wasn't absolutely chaotic or good racing. I mean, there's still good racing, but mm. there's some parts where the races kind of dragged down a bit. But I think it was probably the best season they had to date. Yeah, not in terms of of racing, but in terms of like the exposure and how much you know and everything that went with it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What about you, Cookie? Uh, I think it was good overall. I'm not sure if the car counts could have maybe been a little bit higher, but I think from what they had last year and what they were kind of proposing, it's it's kind of a new situation with like the all ams and the the heavy like 
uh, bronze nature of, of this, uh, some of the classes really yeah, that okay. you're seeing get adopted in other places. So it's kind of getting test run here, but I think overall it's a good formula to have. And they have, they had easily enough entries to kind of meet the excitement meter. In my opinion, one of the finishes was really, really good. There was a lot of weather involved and <laughs> I would, I would even say in one of them, if not two, just from how dry one of the other one was and how, and the temperature of one of the uh, uh, other races. So I, I think it had a good amount of varied um, climate tracks were great. Um, and even the com- competition and, and some of the competitors where we were seeing more of that Asian um, flair in kind of even the teams and drivers. Yeah. And I think that's, it, it's doing, it's hitting all the right buttons. Could it maybe be hitting more of them? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, now with everything going on, I'll be happy if this thing continues, but you know, from, from the offset when we're, we're where we were at, at the end of the championship, I think it was in a good opening position with this new LMP2 package. Like yeah. I think they got off to a good start for this series. I a hundred percent agree with that. I think the decision to bring in the P217s as the top class really started to open up the top of the championship again. And the broadcast package in general has been much better than what it has been in seasons past. So it was actually uh, the broadcast package was at the quality of what you would expect from the European Le Mans series, even if at times the racing quality wasn't. Uh, you know, with one glaring exception, which we'll talk a bit about later on. But really, it was it was an enjoyable season to watch, and uh, I think it yeah it filled a good spot in the calendar, as as Chris said, which uh, we haven't really had in earnest um, before. You know, having ACO racing over what is the summer for me and the winter for you guys. Brilliant. Okay, we'll crack on to uh, the first round of the series, which was the four hours of Shanghai. And that this was so long ago now. This was back in November, I think. This was a week or two after the Shanghai race for the uh, WEC. So we're going well back into the archives here. And the first thing that happened in this race, well, even before the race started, we had teams struggling to get parts and people over to uh, to uh, Shanghai, to China, uh, which meant that our LMP2 AM entry of four cars was reduced to three cars and only very just. They only got the car the Rick Ware racing car, they only just got it there basically for Saturday qualifying. So that was a, a frantic start before the uh, track action had even started. But I think the biggest thing to happen at the beginning of the race was all of the Ferraris taking each other out in the first corner. And, you know, this included last year's series champion in Car Guy and then one of the strong teams in Hubbardo Corsa. They just took each other out in the first corner. So it was a really dumb start to the race. But as the race progressed, we really started to see those that we expected um, in terms of the quality of the P2 field come to the front. And they included the likes of Eurasia, the likes of G-Drive by Algarve and the Thunderhead Carlin team. And honestly, having three different P2 manufacturers at the head of the field for the first time since the new P2 regulations has co- have come out was something really, really cool to watch and uh, something that we've really been missing with the P217 formula, I, in my opinion. And it all came to a head with a very, very tense final stint, which went down to a last lap pass for the win of the race uh, and brought Thunderhead Cullen the first win of the Asian Le Mans series. Congratulations. Woo. But wait. Ooh, but. Bastards. <laughs> but. Um, it was uh, unfortunate that uh, the team had made a major mistake 
with the drive time of one of their drivers. I'm pretty sure Harry Tinknell was not in the car for long enough. I think that was the issue. He was not in the car for nine minutes underneath the minimum drive time. So they got a three lap and 40 something second penalty, which relegated them from first to third, I think, on the day. Um, and then gave uh, the G-Drive Racing with Algarve car the win, uh, which everyone... I remember watching that race in the in the live chat, and everyone was so hyped for that finish to see the battle all the way to the very line, and to see... Uh, unfortunately, like, I'm going to... This is this is the truth, and I'm sorry that this is the truth, but this is the truth. To see G-Drive get beaten and Rusinov get beaten at the line, everyone was so hyped for that, and then like an hour and a half later, it was like, oh no, Carlin got penalised. Well... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so I was definitely not happy with that. But. Yeah, but like, how do you make a mistake that big? Like, the minimum drive time is forty-five minutes in for a P two car in this series. How do you miss that by nine minutes? <laughs> Sometimes it's just that mental error, and uh, it, it can be that basic. I mean, how do you how do you not just change all four tires instead of two? Yeah, I mean that's that's true as well. How do you rewire your sensors so they work on the right tire properly? Right. Yep. I will give I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, seeing that this is Carlin's debut in the Asian Le Mans series. Maybe they read the regulations the wrong way, but they haven't made that mistake again, which you would hope so. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe they uh, misread the regulations a bit. I think that's why they came up with that error. Well, the thing is, though, like, they run in the European Le Mans series, which has literally exactly the same drive time rules, like, to the letter. So, you know, I guess... Their, their, their campaign in the European Le Mans series wasn't great, and that's due to and due in some part to the incidents that they suffered through it. But like it's it's it was just it was just it was just a mistake. They just messed up. And I mean like that's fine. Like people mess up all the time, but it, they just messed up. How good was that battle though? Like that battle for the lead between Tinknell on the last like on fresh tires in the last stint versus Rusinov on aging tires was just unbelievable, wasn't it? classic endurance racing too and they had to make sure that they they navigated traffic and you know uh, the, the better tire especially the fresher tire just kind of helped out um signal and i also think too that there just might have been something a little bit that might have benefited the uh delara chassis uh over some of the other ones so okay what makes you say that maybe i, I don't know um i mean they were quick in a straight line so yeah, maybe, but just depending on how it was, I mean, they were definitely quick the the whole race too. It wasn't like uh, the twenty six was running away with it the entire race. So yeah, um, but again, it's just a classic endurance race where it, it comes down to strategy at the end of it, and it's mm. like a it's a genuine strategy. It's not really artificial. You're not really doing things out of the ordinary to draw it. Um, you know, and it ended up coming down to the final lap. You know, regardless of the drive time issue, yeah. but um, the the I think the finish is what everybody still wants to talk about, and that's really um, and that I think really helped sell it for the Asian Mall Series too for this one. I think. Yeah, that's a great um, point. Even like, if, even if it didn't really count. Yeah, well, even if it didn't really count, but the the fact that you have you know in the first race of the series with these brand new cars to the series in this region, uh, to have the battle go to the absolute wire, that's a great advertisement for the series, and it's it's kind of akin to what happened in Formula E, the first race of Formula E. You know, it was an absolute shit show at the end of that race with I think it was, uh, oh who was it? It was 
Heightfield and Heightfield and um the second Renault driver uh Prost Heinfeld and Prost taking oh, yeah. each other out on the last corner of that first race, and that all of a sudden made everyone talk about Formula E for that weekend. I think in the sports car world, everyone was talking about that Carlin versus G Drive battle uh, at the very end of that race, and that kind of propelled the interest in the Asian One Series over that break because there was a significant break of about a month and a half between this race and the next race. Yep, absolutely. And also a useless stat: both of those races were held in China. <laughs> Yeah, that is a, that's, that's a great useless stat. I love it. Um, what that did, though, was that gave us a little bit of a preview onto what we would be expecting from the season. So we had G-Drive taking the win. Um, with that penalty, Thunderhead got relegated to third, and the number 36 Eurasian Motorsport car finished in second. The two inter-Europol cars finished fourth and fifth, and then unfortunately we had retirements for the number one Eurasian Motorsport car, the New Zealand car, and the K2 Uchino racing car, which I'm struggling to remember what happened to that car, but it did end the race as a retirement. Um, We'll quickly touch on LMP2 AM from that race. As we made mention of, it was a three-car field because Rick Ware Racing only basically turned up on race day uh, with one car because of transit issues. Um, the- yeah, and, that, and that car didn't even make the uh, the actual warm-up laps. It was in pit road, like at least a lap or two, uh, and then released. So. Yeah, it was getting finished as the race was starting, basically. Um, the reigning series champion uh, in the LMP2M class, the ARC Bratislava car, came to a grinding halt on the back straight, which left basically the RLRM Sport uh, an almost uncontested win, uh, which... You know, it's un- unfortunate from a racing sense, but they they were the car that was best prepared and most uh, yeah most able to finish the race. So congrats to RLRM Sport for that one. Um, what I find interesting is that RLRM Sport car was the last racing Orica 05. Did you guys know that? I huh. did not. Yeah. I, I mean, I assume so, because where else were it race? But I did, I mean... Masters of Historic Endurance? I well, think it's not okay. even not even that old yet. So I think of the Orica 05 chassis, all of them have been upgraded to uh, Orica 07s, except for this one and the old KCMG Le Mans winner. I think that one's... And, but that one's in a museum somewhere. Yeah, um, that's probably not going to get upgraded. No, never. Um, that, that will become important later. I will... I'll, I'll, touch that now so that way we we remember to talk about that a little later on because that becomes important later uh lmp3 on the day went the way of uh into europol so as as we've made mention before the most successful lmp3 chassis uh in the world took the race win ahead of the number two nielsen racing car and the graf racing car so it was a bit of a a a european invasion in lmp3 uh with uh with the, the three teams taking the top positions in that race being the teams that you would expect to be at the top from Europe um but interestingly the Ace 1 Velorba Corsa car which had uh one or two um I'm pretty sure that car had one or two uh Asian drivers in it as well they were leading part of a long part of the race um before dropping away at the end uh and LMP3 I, I, I still say this every single time. It becomes so hard to track because of the pit stop rules, but at the end of the race, it does produce some pretty close racing. It was, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, it was kind of hard to follow LMP3, mostly because I think most of the camera direction this year went to the GTs and LMP2s. Yeah. And like sometimes you're like, oh yeah, here's user leader in LMP3, and 
like you're wondering like well how did he get there and they, yeah. they don't really yeah. have any explanation yeah pretty much uh and that that is true um for a lot of the series the thing is though when you when you actually analyze the lmp3 race it's very interesting but it gets lost in the noise of some of the other the races that you see uh like on track because of the pit stop rules the fact that you have like three minimum time pit stops um it does you need to really be keeping track of who's been taking their pit stops and when um so yeah but i will say the that was very good signs for the rest of the LMP3 championship. We saw some really, really great racing later on. Uh, finally, in Shanghai, we made mention that the Ferraris just took each other out in the first corner. So we had, I think, Car Guy Racing and Spirit of Race and Hub Auto Corsa all trip over each other at the first corner. And then that basically left the non-Ferraris free reign to go ahead and win the race, uh, include, which uh, was ended up being taken by the number 77 D-Station Racing AMR in the first race for the Aston Martin, the new Aston Martin Vantage in uh, the Asian Le Mans series, followed by the team J-Lock Huracan and the uh, Astro Veloce Motorsport BMW M6, uh, which finished third. How would you rate the Shanghai race on a, on a scale from 1 to 10? Um, like everyone talks about the, the 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 end of the race and how awesome that was, and it was very awesome. But like overall, um, it it did meander in bits. It, I it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a mad race, but you know, I, I it was a solid endurance race for what they had for the for the grid count. I think, hmm. and I I I think it met expectations. So, yeah, fair enough, Chris. Uh, I give it. Uh, I gave it six and a half, uh, six and a half, seven. Nice. That's a pretty, pretty strong, pretty strong rating. Brilliant. From there, the Asian Le Mans series went down under for the first time uh, with the first ACO sanctioned race in Australia for 20 years. Uh, air horns, air horns. Woo! Um, and I, that was also, uh, the first time I've ever had the chance to see ACO racing ever. So that was really, really cool. It was the four hours of the bend. Um, I have many, many stories about that, which I can probably share here or at a later time. Um, but yeah, four, four hours of the bend, the, the first, uh, Asian Lawn Series race in Australia, the first big international sanctioned series for the track as well. Um, importantly, as a result of that accident, no fist AI due to the, the, the crash. They basically unloaded the trailer and went, yep, we're not racing this car. Um, which was really unfortunate. And also K2 Uchino didn't make the race because their AM driver, the driver who brings the money to the car, which is, um, uh, Haruki Kurosawa, he was sick for that weekend. So he didn't actually run that race, which meant the car didn't run the race. The, it was, uh, okay, I have inherent bias because I was there and I was working and I am a big fan of the track, but how did you guys, uh, how did, how did you guys enjoy the bend? What did you guys think of the bend? I I enjoyed it thoroughly, mainly because you had um, you had the all-Kiwi car, which nice. I believe was Shane Van Gisbergen, Nick Cassidy, and Daniel Gunn. Yep. Um, that, that brought in a lot of eyeballs because people know nick cassidy from his super gt and super formula efforts uh, obviously being a super gt champion kind of huge deal um also shane van gisbergen being you know being a driver in australia's most popular motorsports gonna turn some eyeballs so i think i'm probably gonna guess that the thailand bed round was probably the most viewed uh asian Le Mans series round of the entire season um and the fact that you had um 
Richard Crail in the booth for a couple for for bits here and there. It, it felt kind of like the Bathurst 12 hour because you have Graham and Richard Crail kind of just doing the banter. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Tyler Bandy, full endurance layout. I I I like it way better than the uh, national layout. Really? Oh, that's very interesting. I'll I'll quiz you on that a little bit later on because I I find that as a very interesting opinion. What about you, Cookie? What did you think of Tyler Bend? Um, the length was awesome. I thought the course was, uh, had very long straights, had very fast corners, um, some technical areas for single file racing, but then had very slow sweeping corners, just, uh, pretty much, um, as as much as you could stuff in a course that is under five miles in length, I pretty much did it. And it's really, I, I like the course. It reminded me a lot of um, what's the Utah racetrack? Um, uh, Utah Motorsports co- uh, Complex or Campus? It, it reminds me of that, okay. uh, but just not uh, more tight, like yeah. a much more compact circuit. Yeah, uh, and I enjoy it. I, I hope it as well. I really do. That that's actually a very fair comparison because both are in like a in a desert setting, while Thailand Bend is more so in like a like a like a like a temperate like you know, there's still grass and stuff. While Utah's just dust yeah that's true uh i i think something i got i saw a lot of comments about uh especially in the community from people in europe is there was a comment of there's really nothing around it's hard to get your bearings because you know people would be unfamiliar with the track and there's not as yeah, they said it, yeah it's it's your the, the thing is about the climate in that area is that it's in a bit of a rain shadow um, so the way that the weather systems work here, I'll, I'll drop some local knowledge on you, um, is weather system generally pass west to east, uh, and then, uh, you've got the plains where Adelaide is situated, then you've got the hills, which means that the hills get a lot of rain, and then once you get over the hills to where Murray Bridge and Tail and Bend are, um, you get a lot less rain, which is why that area is a lot more scrubland. So that's why it's, like, I, and I can totally understand and respect people having difficulty viewing the track for the first time um i guess i again have a bit of a bias because i've been there in person seven eight nine times i've seen a lot of racing there so i kind of can get my bearings real quickly um but yeah it was really really cool for me to see the international uh like circus come to adelaide and to to be able to share that with with people like graham goodwin um who is here like for the first time I think ever maybe, um, and you know, be be a part of that sort of media circus. Um, it was really, 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 really cool. Um, so yeah. Anyway, we should talk about the racing. Yeah, uh, racing was hot. Yeah, it hot was hot. Everything about that weekend was hot. In fact, uh, I think the the thing that really struck me was that first section of the race where you had six LMP2 cars nose to tail for an hour. That was cool racing that was really really cool and uh to see that um like the track produced that sort of racing was awesome fun um and on top of that as well like as you said having guys like shane van gisbergen in the mix as well he has never driven a p2 car and immediately was fastest in practice and was in the heat of the battle the entire time which was really really cool um but we saw problems Early on for the Thunderhead Carlin car, uh, Jack Manchester making contact while lapping the uh, D-Station AMR, um, which basically plummeted both of them out of the mix uh, early on, which was a real shame for the Carlin car, which had qualified on pole. Um, we saw one of the LMP3 cars, uh, I think it was the Nielsen racing car, 
uh, crash in practice and ride off a chassis. So they were running a spare chassis, uh, which was bought over as a spare car for graph racing. And so there was a bit of attrition before the race had even properly got underway. Um, and then as the race progressed, we started to see cars drop out of the running and it really became a battle between G-Drive by Algarve and the Eurasia New Zealand car. Um, and they were going hammer and tong. I remember there was a section in the in the middle part of the race where they were basically nose to tail and came up on the tail of some GT traffic through the back section, which you cannot pass in. It's single file, and that was some of the greatest defensive and offensive battling I've ever seen in P2 cars, let alone in the Ageland 1 series. Uh, as it happened... The, there was a, a few full-course yellows which played very nicely into the G-Drive car's hands. And as the race got to its final stint, the Eurasia Motorsport car broke down, comprehensively broke down, and ended up not finishing the race due to a gearbox failure 20 minutes from the line. So that was pretty rough. But G-Drive won. Uh, second place was the other Eurasia Motorsport car taking their second second. And then third place was the recovering Thunderhead Carlin car. Um, important notes uh, through that race, Eurasia, it was, it was every single time there was a full course yellow. And there was a few of them. There, had, there was one of the uh, BMWs going into the wall pretty hard. There was a car stopped out on track. Uh, a car bumped off into the gravel. Every single time a full course yellow happened, it played perfectly into G-Drive's hands. How did they do that? Uh, a lot of different uh, psychic and mystical, <laughs> magical ways, uh, Flood. But um, a lot of it is just being there, really. You just kind of have to, you know, keep showing up to these events and you're going to fall into these occasions every now and then. I mean, they're, you know, they know how to execute and be in the right spots, kind of. And. You know, a, a lot of this doesn't happen if they don't play that hand to to start and they don't have that kind of strategy and set themselves up to be in that position. But, um, you know, a, a lot of it, too, is just staying on track, not getting in any, into any trouble. Uh, and we saw that from their competitors. So. Yeah. And uh, this was a question that I wanted to pose. Uh, does G-Drive success in... Th- I, I'll say this race in particular, and I'll follow it on to some of the other races show the quality of their crew and their strategy compared to the other teams in the Asian Le Mans series, compared to the Eurasias, compared to the Inter-Europoles, compared to Carlin, uh, because it seemed that every single time there was an opportunity to make a gain because of a strategy, they were the ones who took that play. Like, like, yeah, I remember this is Algarve Racing, just yes, under exactly. the G-Drive. So, so, yeah, does that show that the, the quality of Algarve Racing is higher than Eurasia, than Inter-Europol, than Carlin? In terms, of, in terms of race strategy, in terms of race planning. Because hmm. you couldn't really say that the, the G-Drive car was the fastest car for the weekend. That was probably the Delara, probably Carlin. Or Eurasia, in fact, um, in the number in the number one car. But come the end of the race, they were the ones who were in the box seat to win because they kept their nose clean and they won the strategy battle. I mean, just looking at the season results, I mean, you have to say, <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, pretty much. I, I it's, guess it's we'll a, cha- a championships, you know, kind of kind of hard to whittle down and say no, they weren't. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I've had that. I, I'm asking some really tough questions here because I really want to get some really tough answers from you guys. Um, but yeah, I'll, I think it was. I think it does show a bit of a, a golf and quality, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I, I think interestingly, we've got Alex in chat saying that the Orica might have had something to do with it. I'm not so sure. So the um, while the they were one of the cars running the Orica or the Auris, um, which I definitely learned to not make that mistake again uh, after I had a very angry Russian man chase me down in the paddock. Uh, they they didn't technically well not technically they didn't seem to have the outright pace of the other cars. I'm not sure if that's because they were uh, running a bit more conservative or the other cars had maybe arguably better drivers or drivers with track knowledge already, but it didn't seem that they were going to be the outright fastest throughout the race. I mean, they only topped one practice session. They didn't top qualifying. That was Ben Barnacote. And the drivers like Shane Van Gisbergen, for example, were the class of the field in practice. So I'm not so sure the Orica was a, a deciding factor in that one. What about, uh, what were your thoughts on the P2 race? What were your thoughts on, uh, yeah, how the P2 race went at the bend? Really, for me, um, I thought it was a good second round, I guess, to start. Uh, practice and qualifying um, were at least pretty pretty good, pretty competitive. And again, you're not wrong. Uh, a lot of us like when that 26 is not um, all the way up on that timing sheet. So yeah. uh, that was good to see. Um, the race kind of, I thought was going to have some attrition to it and, or, and, or was going to ha- be a really just a battle to get through it just with the temperatures. Um, there's, I think there is a lot of that mentality when you have these really, really hot races that, um, especially with the amateur drivers, like it's mm. just kind of get through it. Don't, you know, don't push a ton of stuff here. Um, we still saw that with the, uh, the LMP twos <clears throat> and Thunderhead getting into some trouble uh, with uh, Aston Martin uh, kind of midway through, which I think stifled their bid for uh, for the win, even though they still remain on the lead lap. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the 26 is just going to kind of be there. And they're mm. they're really the 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 I wouldn't say gold standard, but they're close to it at this point yeah. in terms of a really, really, really hyper competitive LMP2 team and one that I would not be surprised if they have they podium at Le Mans at some point yeah, you know uh every definitely. year so like I, I think uh I think again it's it's a solid n- another race for what is basically like a four to five car you know LMP2 t- uh, uh mm. like squad yeah, yeah so, I agree with that so, I'll just I'll just yeah. correct something real quickly it wasn't that hot on race day okay well it wasn't that hot. It was 35 degrees on race day, but the, the the real heat came before track action really started. So the day before practice day was 42 degrees and just stinking hot. Then it rained on practice day for some unknown reason. But yeah, come come the race, it was actually 30, 32, 34 degrees. Um, so it wasn't stupid hot, but you know, I was initially very worried that you would end up with a 45 degree day in the middle of the race. So we were very lucky that we didn't get that. Um, but it's still probably warmer than a lot of the European races or the other Asian races for that matter um, than you would expect. Uh, I, what I really liked was the fact that the track promoted close racing, not necessarily because the, um, like, cause you, 
couldn't pass, even though in some sections it was true. But just it, it allowed drivers to actually battle. Like, I mean, Rusinov's defense of Nick Cassidy in the second to last stint through that back section was just freaking perfect. And I loved I loved seeing the um the ingenuity in trying to use the track to get around each other. What about you, Chris? What did you think of, of the P2 race? I, I think I thoroughly enjoyed it more than Shanghai because it happened for most of the race. It wasn't like Shanghai where kind of like, oh, there's kind of nothing happening right now. Then there's like bits and pieces where, you know, oh, it's happening, it's not happening. Um, pretty much all throughout the entire race, there was something happening in the LMP2 class. There was something to point out. It's like, hey, there's this going on. And I think that made it much more enjoyable for me to watch because it was consistently something there. While Shanghai, you know, something was there, but then, like, you have to look for something else because, you know, the action in P2 dropped down a mm. bit. So I thoroughly enjoyed this one more. Fair enough. I think that's a that's a fair assessment. Um, the result, as we've made mention, went the way of G-Drive. The second Eurasian Motorsport car finished in second place yet again. Thunderhead Cullen, we made mention, recovered to third. And that was because the uh, number 33 interior of all endurance car finished a few laps down. And there was no other finishes uh, in P2. The 34 into Europol car retired. The K2 Regino racing car was withdrawn because of the aforementioned driver being sick. And then the number one car had that gearbox problem. Uh, Quick touch on LMP2 AM. Um, This time we had, for the first and in the end only time of the series, the uh, full four-car LMP2 AM grid. Um, Unfortunately, we had one car quite literally burn up um which <laughs> which <laughs> richard crail said on the broadcast was quite ironic considering considering that the rlrm sport car was dressed up in a special support the uh, cfs country fire service <laughs> livery and quite literally burst into flames uh which was unfortunate and ironic um, so unfortunately they retired the RC Bratislava car suffered problems throughout the race which meant that we had a Rick Ware Racing 1-2 at the end of the bend um, I totally called it <laughs> oh no that uh, that 59 was going to win I mean can we all just agree with that that it was sailing yeah it was pretty distance. nice and then yeah, it burst into flames. It destroyed itself in a fit of ironic flame. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this uh, at the at the season preview as to kind of it's a cheap way to get yourself into another series that, again, cheap. And if you are a cheap racing team that makes almost its living off of racing cheap things to get, you know, accolades that give you money. Um, it would be Rick Ware Racing because they do that in NASCAR. So that's their angle. And <laughs> lo and behold, uh, after the second round, um, they have a one-two for the, <laughs> for the class. It was ridiculous. So, yeah, out of attrition, really out of attrition. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that was the thing too. We talked about that too. That was they have a shot, and just because they are fifty percent of the field. Yeah, and it does not matter their pace; they are fifty percent, and that's they just need to show up and, and finish, and they have a shot to win. And they certainly put a case for it at, at the at bend least in the second round. Yeah, oh it, was, uh, it was, it oh, was, 
And it, it was cool. It was cool though, like because it was the young car that that won uh, with Cody Ware and uh, Gustas Grinbergers, who is a he was at the time a 16 year old driver from Latvia. Who uh, Latvia? I think it was Latvia. Um, Could be. Yeah, L- Lithuania. Lithuania. Sorry. Yeah. So like, I I remember meeting him on the morn like the first morning I was there, and it was like, dude, you're 17. Like when when I was in like third grade four or five you weren't even born yet like that's just weird and here he is winning an aco class like oh that was crazy anyway rick Ware racing one two asc bratislava crawled home third with an adelaide driver behind the wheel garnet patterson who was also a super chill dude and i'll tell some stories in another podcast or in this one if we got time about my experience at the bend but yeah the bend was cool i liked it i really really liked it and i can't wait to see more aco racing there Yay. i'm actually i'm actually Fingers crossed. i'm surprised that the track owner sam shaheen didn't try and get a gt drive for it but oh well that's fine but it looked real cool it looked really really cool and i'm very happy to see the full circuit be used and for it to be successful um and like are, are we- i'm not biased at all are we uh are we gonna do like a like an episode in, in like a month to discuss like the fate of some of these tracks? Uh, would the bend be in consideration here since it's basically like two years old at this point? I what, mean, for, is it, is it okay to hang out here for you know however long? I mean, I guess I guess really how many how many uh is it in is it usually a public kind of open event that yeah. you can book stuff with year round or is it usually closed off for public? No 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 it's 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 it it is close enough to Adelaide where they can run frequent track days and have good attendance like my uh, my sister's boyfriend has actually taken his car out to do track days fairly frequently I think he's done four or five um because he's got a bend membership which means that he gets them for super cheap so it's close mm-hmm. enough that you can still go out there and do it um they've got also a bunch of other stuff at the track to do so it's not just the track they've got like higher carts they've got a muse- almost a museum there basically in the welcome center with just some Australian royalty like car royalty um and they're still building stuff onto it as well so like they've got a caravan park there they've got a hotel so it's not I, I and on top of that as well the family that owns the bend is one of the richest families in south australia so i'm pretty sure they'll be fine <laughs> and that's right. a measure of the fact that i mean the amount of racing that they have there they, they have lots of racing actually mm. they have like um the australian and asian superbike championships that usually have a little co-joined around um shannon's nationals have had two rounds there last year the australian motor racing nationals or the australian motor racing series that includes like trans am and the legends cars stuff like that and of course the supercars yep so yep. they have plenty of racing as as well as the uh, open track days and stuff like that yeah um but of course the problem with that is you can't run any of that anymore because because yep. this virus thing that's actually a very interesting discussion that we might have to have in the future cookie because that's that's something that is not insignificant in this this changing world that we live in yeah, so that was the bend. Man, how good was the bend? I love the bend. Oh, we didn't even talk about the GT and the LMP3 race there. Um, <laughs> I'm getting way ahead of myself. Uh, LMP3 went the way of Nielsen Racing, the car that wasn't broken to bits. Um, they won the race by being very smart and taking their uh, minute-long pit stops 
at every opportunity they could. So when they had their last pit stop, they were had they had thirty seconds on the rest of the field. So they won that one. Uh, interestingly, uh, the only th- four cars finished that race in LMP3. Uh, the Graf Racing number nine, Nielsen Racing number three, and the Viper Niza Racing cars all broke down or had. Uh, issues or contact throughout the race so that was a bit of a bit of an attrition race in lmp3 as well and then in gt it was car guy racing from hub auto corsa ferrari's fine like recovering after their first race uh debacle really to take the top four positions uh in uh in gt um it was yeah it was just a great great recovery for ferrari after their very 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 uh ambiguous start at shanghai uh yeah any any extra comments on p3 or uh gt at the bend um nothing crazy uh the ferraris kind of cleaned house really in the ngt um and i I mean not really surprising to be honest and another a a car guy win too so i i'm i don't know why but I, i really like that team and i think having know successful teams kind of coming out of uh the different areas in in asia especially for the asian lamas series and specifically because there's not really around right now in uh in japan mm, uh, so yeah. to see a bunch of of these kind of japanese based teams to be competing and to be competing well um i think is really good yeah so um well if they if they do get this if, if they do get the series started out by that uh, fall uh winter this year they will have a round at Suzuka for the Japanese yeah. round, so there'll be five rounds in total if we get this thing off the road next year. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end, but there's promising signs for next season should it go ahead. Uh, I think it was interesting um, that uh, a few driver changes actually really shook up the field for the bend. So, firstly, we had Liam Talbot, um, an Australian amateur driver, jump into the Hub Auto Corsa car, which completely changed the face of that car and made it into a, a world beater almost. Um, and Combe Ledegar replaced Anthony Foco in the Car Guy racing car. And we know we know how good Ledegar is. He's a Blank Pan Endurance Championship winner. He's won a bunch of races around the world. And for him to come into the Car Guy racing car, that really transformed that car as well. And I would say that those two driver swaps were probably why the Hub Auto Corso and Car Guy racing teams rose to the top of the field at the bend. We'll press on. Round three of the series was at Sepang and was the polar opposite oh, in terms God. of weather from what we had at the bend. Bend was after after the Thursday of the Friday practice, it was dry and it was hot. Sepang was wet. It was moister than an oyster. It was so, 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 so wet. Um, there was reduced running on the the Friday because of uh, because of rain and red flags for cars going off in the rain, aquaplaning off. Um, remember, this was meant to be a night, ra- an evening race as well on the Saturday night, and about five minutes before the start of the race, a thunderstorm blew across the circuit and killed it. Completely stopped the race. It was on full hold because there were lightning strikes basically on the circuit and it knocked out the trackside communications entirely. So that was quite possibly one of the 
one of the one of the most craziest things to witness uh, in in motorsports, like the cars on the grid ready to go, and then all of a sudden black screen and just nothing. Uh, it was yeah, a bit terrifying to be honest. Um, yeah, it, I I'd never seen anything like that before. I mean, I've seen rain in Sepang. I remember that Formula One race that got cancelled. Well cut short halfway through because of a typhoon but this is this was this was another level on top of that well we uh, did have a first mm, yeah fair mm, enough we we did have a first for the weekend i believe this was the first time in asian Series history that a practice session uh was live streamed that had a full bro- had a relatively decent broadcast for it had the commentary and did the interv- they had interviews and they had track cameras on. Yeah. Uh, but also, yeah. The, the, it was, funny enough, the, the next day after, it sent the series production back into the uh, early <laughs> stages of last year where they had like one or two cameras. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a really intriguing uh, broadcast, actually, because once they actually got everything up and running, it would have been, it was a hundred minutes later that the race had started. Um, so we were going to have more racing in darkness. Um, and we we'd lost a bunch of cameras. I think so. The entire broadcast was a handheld camera on the main straight, uh, yep. a, a camera on the in, it was in the turn, back end of the circuit somewhere. Yeah, it was turn six and seven, and then turn nine, which was good because that that's where everything happened on the race. That everything happened at turn nine, and to start with, it was only those three cameras. That was all you had. Um, but quickly before we get into the race, we should make a few comments on some changes to the entry list. Firstly, um, we lost all of the BMWs from the entry list because this was the start of uh, the coronavirus spread. So yep, this was back when it was kind of just in uh, Southeast was, Asia for the and, time and China. Yeah, so because the, those teams were based in China, they elected to prevent, like they elected to not join the rest of the series. Um, which turns out in retrospect to be a good choice. Uh, on top of that, we lost uh, two cars from the LMP2 AM category. Uh, we lost the ARC Bratislava car due to personal commitments for the money man behind the car, Muro um, Konopka. Mm-hmm. And we also lost the RLR M Sport car. Now, the reason that the RLR M Sport car couldn't make the rest of the series was because, as we made mention... It was the last racing Orica 05, and after the burn-up at the bend, they had to send that car back to Orica in France because they wanted to do an investigation on it, and they didn't have uh, enough or the appropriate spares to bring a car back for the last two rounds of the series. So we lost now half of our Olympic 2 Anfield, which meant that we had just Rick Rail Racing. Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like again, just as we wrote it up, you just yeah. kind of. It's you know, it's like it's it's like we knew. Out. It's like we knew. And what, my what a showing they they they, they put. Yeah, they, they yeah. Well, just because it's funny, we'll talk about Olympic Two M first. So the Rickway Racing cars, right? They suffered major delays through the race at Sepang. Uh, one car did not complete enough laps to be classified. The other car was the last classified finisher, um, three laps away from the cutoff for being classified, and they won a Le Mans yes. invite because of that. You <laughs> uh, love yeah. to hear it. It's great. It was I like yeah, you do. You do. It was a bit funny, but okay. Uh, okay, now back back to no, the rest. No, no, it's it's awesome. I, I mean, I, I love Cody. I love where two Le Mans confirmed? 
Oh my god. I mean, yeah, that's like that's it. We're we're gonna try to see how many uh how many NASCAR memes we can we can fit in uh in WC. Uh, uh, I want to say Euro Internationals, I believe, fielding the teams for Lamar. Oh well, okay. Yeah, I believe Euro Internationals are doing uh Rick Rares cards. Jeez, okay. That <laughs> Wow, okay, well crap, man. If they get a podium, I'm gonna be I'm gonna have a lot of egg in my face. NASCAR memes to Lamon. Oh jeez. Oh man, wouldn't that be insane though? Like they somehow win it, like oh <laughs> Wow. Like, okay, we've gone what, from just, we've gone from they were the theory. last they were the last classified finisher, so they got a Le Mans invite too. They're gonna win Le Mans. Yeah, I mean, dude, I the, what what other trajectory do you see this going? Um, this is this is this is like an American Hollywood story. Oh my this god! If they if they, if that does happen and they make it into a movie, I swear to God Almighty. Well, yeah. I, I just like to give my first uh, Austin round of applause to our 2019-2020 uh, Asian Le Mans Series LMP2 AM champions, <laughs> uh, the uh, Cody Ware Racing Team. Well, it was just Cody uh, Ware. Really, really stuck it to him. Far really. out. <laughs> I, I do not consent to this. Anyway, back to the race. Um, importantly, the delay actually gave two cars the chance to get onto the grid. I think uh, Ace One Velorba Corsa... Uh, had to do a full engine change and they were still completing it as the race was starting and then Nielsen Racing also had they needed to oxy weld something back together and they just managed to do that while the race was delayed so very lucky for the tour then but yeah we had a old school three camera setup for um it was like a radio with a with a steady cam basically for the race and it really it was lucky that they had the turn nine camera because that was that was where all the action happened. We had a few cars spin, we had contact. Um, I think importantly, the G drive by Algarve car had contact with an LMP three car, which uh, very much muted their challenge. Apparently, they had some significant exhaust uh, problems throughout the rest of the race, which resulted in them losing a significant amount of power. And they were worried that they, that car wasn't going to make it to the end through a lot of that race. Um, but at the end of the race, it was really a battle between the Eurasia Motorsport number 36 car, which was, again, the last surviving Eurasia Motorsport car after problems for the number one, and the Thunderhead by uh, Thunderhead by Carlin car. And it they, they produced some great racing throughout the race. I remember at one point a pass around the outside into turn one, um, for the Carlin car to take the lead. But the Eurasia Motorsport car suffered another post-race penalty to give the win to Thunderhead Carlin, and it was for not replacing their rear deck due to the lights being out on the car. So it was, at least in this case, the the post-race penalty came immediately. So we knew that by the time the podium happened that the results were the other way around. But man... What a what a scrappy race! What a weird race! What a what a just yeah! I I've not seen anything in modern sports cars like that. Uh yeah, I we were concerned too for some of the cameramen that because uh, mm. it, it, it either they got hit or the equipment they were on got hit something like that and uh, and so that's why we we had really no cameras like you had said it was really just kind of static camera that they could put up in any place they could stick it kind of thing and but beyond that like it was yeah it was just kind of like one of those i mean you kind of had that happen before in other circumstances but i you i can't recall a lot maybe outside of germany last year where you had just just a massive deluge of standing water Mm. to begin the race and then it really not have a whole lot to have happen after that 
Um, it's definitely still damp, but um, you were still fighting kind of tricker, tricky, kind of damp conditions all all race long. But it was kind of it went from wet to kind of getting dry tonight, and all of that was just a really unique scenario where you really didn't have the ability to kind of get comfortable with a consistent strategy mm. at least for a decent amount of the race so um and i i did like the the nighttime race there or the nighttime there i mean even though they had a lot of stadium lights kind of for most of the track i i, I mean I, i'll take a lot of night racing anytime so you would lo- you uh, love I really night enjoyed racing. It. yeah i do well, and, i'm american and... man we all like that nascar Saturday night <laughs> short track race never mind oh, yeah. uh you, but yeah but it, i liked it i liked it. it was a great race yeah you you sepang's one of your favorite circuits as well isn't it oh it is I yeah you're you... gonna you're always gonna find me applauding the track yeah no I, doubt about that. I remember you saying before um before in our preview that you were most excited for the night race at sepang so did it did it end up holding up in the end do you think um it was hard to watch it was it was a good listen the, <laughs> yeah i mainly was listening to it uh for the most part just because it, it you know having a static cam in the front at stretch and then having one camera guy that is sitting in the back area it was kind of difficult to really pay attention to the ebb and flow of the race outside of just kind of like following that but um the the pace seemed to be really close and the the battles were really good um we didn't really see like you know, some fireworks or you know the end you know battle to battle door to door finish, but I, again, I mean you're not like all of these rounds, even the last round too. I really like the, the last round as well. These are just solid, solid endurance rounds, and they're just putting in the mileage that they need to to kind of keep growing the the base and to try to keep getting more uh, entries in there. Outside of a couple of LMP two spins and LMP three spins, like. And yeah. the traffic jam that was whatever that was like the last like I think that was like the last hour where a couple like LMP three open two and then like a GT just came out of nowhere and just I was like oh I guess I'm gonna park here yeah um, but yeah I, I liked it it was a, it was a great round it was and I it don't was, know it I don't was, know if it was my favorite though I don't know if it was my yeah favorite. I'll 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 pay that um it was very interesting to go back to like the old school of like following on basically with radio and timing and it really made me pay attention a lot more to like lap times. And really appreciate the work that the likes of Ben Barnacote and Sean Tong and Aidan Reed were doing in their stints, where their lap times were perfectly consistent and gaining on those around them. Um, Chris, what about you? What did you think of the race? Uh, I kind of uh, brushed through it. If I'm going to be honest, um, oh. I, I did. Wa- I did try to watch the full entire VOD, but um, I ended up watching the 46 minute highlight show instead, um, and, and it, it was it was, it was decent. Uh, I do have to say it was it was very hard to follow just the three cameras. Yeah. So I mean yeah. it's it's just it is what it is. I mean I I still figured the bend was still the best round of the championship. Uh, Sepang having three. Ca- I'm pretty sure if it had that, like the, it was a, if it was a, if it was like the regular broadcast, I would have enjoyed it more. But yeah, you know, having three yeah. cameras kind of you know reduced that thing a bit. I I think it would be very difficult to rewatch. I think watching it live, you were able to appreciate the effort to get yep. the broadcast together enough to, to stick by, stick it with it. But I think if I had to rewatch yep. that race, it would have just been much yeah, more because difficult. You had live timing and the live Twitter updates. And yeah. So if you're watching it live, I could see the sense that, it, it, you know, if you could have enjoyed it that way. But I was in, I had to work the next day at like eight o'clock in the morning. So yeah. I kind of well, yeah. went to work I was like, oh, I watch Age of the Wild and like three cameras. I was like, oh, okay. That's kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
Um, importantly though, the P2 race was won by Carlin after the post-race penalty, making it the first win for the team in ACO competition, the second win ever for a Dallara chassis in ACO competition, um, and it really tightened up the championship, uh, which we'll talk about uh, once we get to the end of the Sepang uh, coverage. Um, yeah, it was first win for a Dallara outside of the, well, I think it was SMP at Paul Ricard in 2017 was the last time a Dallara chassis won an ACO race. So that's a pretty big, pretty big thing for Colin, right? That's, that's a huge uh, marker against their, their quality. And Carlin was always up there. It was always in the you know, somewhere in the top three. Um, and, and with the driver lineup that they had, I mean, it's kind of hard to expect them to not win a race. Exactly, sometimes. yeah. Um, and importantly, the only car that retired from the race in LMP2 was the number one Eurasian Motorsport, which again had some sort of gearbox related issue for some reason. Man, they had no luck in the first three rounds of the series. They had no no luck at all, to be honest, in that, in that uh, New Zealand car. Graf Racing took the P3 honours, again, because they were the ones who made the choices to use up their pits, their full-length pit stops early on. Um, but the important story for the series, in terms of the, the overall series, was that both Inter-Europol and Nielsen Racing managed to recover from their awful start. So into Europol, they were the pole sitter and they had an electrical drama under safety car in the first, like as the race started, which dropped them to the tail of the field and they managed to recover to third place. Nielsen Racing arguably should have taken a podium. And remember, this is after they only got onto the grid uh, due to the delays um, enabling them to finish their repairs. They were in third place but got a penalty for a stop and go penalty because their last pit stop was one second below the mandatory pit stop time. So they had to come in and serve a one second stop and go penalty, which ended up dropping them to fourth place. So when going into the last round, it was very, very tight between those two cars because of their ability to recover, to take good positions in that race. Uh, how do you guys feel about a one second stop and go penalty? <laughs> one one second stop and go. Yep, that was what they got. They got a one second stop and go penalty. Ooh, well, you know, again, it's 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 that's there is a reason why there's a penalty to stop and go and make you know and serve the offset. I'm assuming, right? Yep, that's it. To make it, yeah. So because they their last pit stop, I think it was a one minute twenty pit stop time. Their last pit stop was one minute nineteen point three. So they had to come in and serve that extra 0.7 of a second. Yep. I think it's fair. I mean, that it, it will dissuade anybody from trying to push anything. It, it's uh, it's a harsh punishment, but I think it gets the point across. And, uh, you know, um, you usually don't think that people either A, will just miss that completely or will try to push something. But if they do, it's there to rightly, you know, Punish slap them for, back. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm fine with it. Yep. Uh, GT race to finish off uh, Shanghai, uh, Shanghai, Sepang. Um, it was a story of late drama in GT. It really, it could have gone, uh, as the race came to a finish, it was J-Lock versus Hub Auto Corsa versus uh, the D-Station racing cars. They were, they were the ones that were really in the box seat. Then the D-Station racing car ground to a halt. I think it spun out at turn four with an en- uh, a gearbox problem as well, which 
stranded them at the race. This was like 12 minutes from the end of the race. So they couldn't get the car to back on track because it was beached. They couldn't get the car to the pits, which means they couldn't cross the finish line, which means they got zero points. They retired from the race, stranded in the gravel trap at turn four or turn five. Uh, that meant it was then between Hubbard Corsa and J-Log. Now, Hubbard Corsa had a decent lead at this point. It was about 20 seconds. And then they got given a drive-through penalty for full-course yellow speeding literally an hour prior. So within the last 10 minutes of the race, they got a penalty um, from an hour ago handed to them, which left J-Lock the opportunity to go through and take the win. Now, how long is too long to delay a penalty? Because if I was Hubbard Corsa and I got a penalty for something that happened an hour ago within the last 10 minutes of the race, I would be livid, livid with that. Because that's basically, you, you can't recover from that. No, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's where a lot of this is. Yeah, I, I never like to see a penalties issue that late. I mean, and, and I, I, we've had these arguments now, or, or discussions at least over this. Not, not, not that we've ever argued over this, but... Um, <laughs> You know, we've we've pressed arguments uh, that have highlighted this exact problem and why that this does not give or lend any any goodwill to a lot of the officiating crews if they're doling out penalties just close to the ending. Wait for the end of the race at this yeah. point, and I think that's what a lot of these these series kind of learn their lesson with. And I think this race control will do the same. Maybe stuff after, like, with an hour, 30 minutes to go gets reviewed. Or if not, then, you know, a penalty is swiftly enforced or at least enacted or something. Mm. Um, just because it's not it's not really great. It's not a good look just to have that happen. And, I mean, just even thinking about the other series that have had this happen before, it frustrates me. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's you're not going to ever hear me complain about... Um, well, actually, you will hear me complain about this, but I mean, you won't hear me complain about any, any steps to try to prevent that. Uh, I mean, we hear you complain I, about a lot of things. We do, we do. But <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm at least offering some solutions. This, this is time. true. So I think I think that's probably a, a good necessary step. So I hope that they take that soon. Yeah, yeah, that was really unfortunate to really not be able to react, like you said, to uh, to penalty that severe. That yeah, I, I think like I'm willing to give the, the series a free pass on this one because of the circumstances with within the race, like the fact that they were basically running on a shoestring um, due to the problems that they had before the start. Like, I'm willing to maybe, you know, say that was an outlier. But yeah, it's just, I don't think it's fair, to be honest. Um, so, heading into the last round of the series, we already had the LMP2 AM Championship decided, um, thanks to uh, thanks to Rick Ware Racing. Um the scenarios for P2 was it's it was G Drive versus Carlin versus Eurasia the number 36 um with the G Drive able to take second place and win the championship regardless uh for the for the LMP3 championship the inter Europol number 13 car the the most successful LMP3 chassis in the world um held a 3 point lead over the number 2 Nielsen racing car and that was the real head to head battle in uh LMP3 and then GT, you had four cars in with a chance of winning, basically. You had, uh, I think it was the Hubble Corsa car, Car Guy Racing, Team J-Lock, and Spirit of Race, all in a position wherein if they won the race, they would win the championship, except for J-Lock, who only had to finish second. So there was your uh, your 
championship pitches heading into the last round of the series, which was the four hours of Buriram. Now, Buriram race, I, I really like the Chang circuit. I think it's a really, really cool circuit. Um, and it really provided some decent opportunities uh, for racing. But unfortunately, what it also caught, what, what happened in the race was everyone just spread out straight away. And we didn't really get to see a lot of close in-depth racing. What we did see, though, was uh, a mad dash for the win from the Carlin Racing team, which, again, were just the team to beat throughout the entire weekend. Um, Even though they got screwed over by a full-course yellow and lost something like 45 to 50 seconds on the G-Drive Racing by Algarve team. Again, again, like, how did that keep happening? But anyway... Um, Carlin ended up taking the win, which was really, really cool. Um, but, uh, the G drive car did settle for second place and took with it the championship victory. So congratulations to G drive for the LMP2 championship. Congratulations for Carlin for winning two races. Um, but I think the biggest thing about the LMP2 race was the complete lack of competition from really anyone else. Yeah, we had a decent grid too. Um, I kind of, yeah, I I was pretty blown away that really that there was a two car race only. Yeah. And it was really confusing because you didn't know what the deal was. Were these two really that much quicker than everybody else or was everybody else just that much slower than these two? Um, I I think it's more the latter, but uh, I think a lot of it too is just the track, man. The, uh, this track, I, I not, I was not really a hundred percent like familiar with the track mm. um previously unless this is named something else but it's 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 uh, called the, the chang international circuit they use it for the thailand moto gp but the thing i found a bit difficult to grasp was they use different camera positions compared to what they would use in moto gp so i i found it really difficult to kind of get my head around as well i wonder if that is something that could be looked at maybe but from what I saw, so yeah, the, the the field did get spread out, but when they did get near nearby, and especially the GT cars, for some of these corners, they they remind me very much like a teal track. Yep. But they're angled in a way in which like it allows for you to have multiple angles of attack, so you can dive on the inside and make it stick. You can even hold on the outside and keep your position just by holding that outside angle, and kind of forcing the inside driver to like not you know run run his course because some of these corners are just really wide and then others are really tight yeah like it's it's not a track in which uh, that allows you to just easily sweep through some of these uh some of these lap cars too and i'm and, and wa- re-watching some of these uh you know a couple of the hours like you would notice this too um that you you would see gaps close really really quickly and it wasn't necessarily because of the pace it was just because of how you catch traffic and pass traffic yeah, especially yeah. at this place so I think that's how everybody got spread out too very quickly uh, as well. So I, mm. it wasn't, we didn't see very, very close battles and especially the LMP2, I think that stood out. But when we did see him, I really enjoyed the track and a lot of the fights that were on it. Yeah. I, I want to talk more about LMP2 because really it boiled down to a two car race, but it really, it, it shouldn't have really uh, like we saw the number one Eurasia motorsport car fall down the order for issues again so they had early problems which took them out of the race uh the 36 year asian motorsport car ended up beached at turn two and this was after being one of the most likely cars to maybe take g drive off the uh the second place uh and then 
the number 34 into Europol car was again in a position to potentially knock G-Drive off of second place and had another issue, had a gearbox drama or something. So they, it really was just a bit of a disappointing end to the P2 uh, campaign. But on the plus side, it did give K2 Uchino Racing, which I was solidly impressed with, a podium finish. So congratulations to K2 Uchino. Yay. Yay. What were your thoughts on, on the Chang race, Chris? Did you think the uh, the P2 class really showed its best form at, um, at Chang? I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I haven't paid too much attention to the race, truthfully. But um, from what I did see, I was very impressed by the P2 class. Ooh, you're very different to what we were saying. <laughs> you, you need well, I mean, you need two cars to tango. So yeah, that's I mean, true. It was at the front of the race. Yeah, but still, I mean, you know, <laughs> fair enough. I mean, because that's the thing, though. That's what I remembered from it. And then you brought up good points in saying how many of the other LMP2 uh, competitors. Yeah. I mean, just mentioning that were, were having issues throughout the race. I mean, you just kind of could tell it was you know the 45. I think has had the pace probably to win the championship. Um, and the 26 really was just the more consistent and kind of reliable entry. But, mm. and then you'd like, again, like you said, throughout the weekend, the 45 of the pace, but you just kind of knew that it was going to be down to probably those two to be the favorites to win it. Yep. Um, and so when the others kind of fell off, they still were right on each other and that pace was still right there. So, yeah. And I, I think we yeah, said I that from the right. very beginning. I think we said that from the very beginning as well. It would be these two cars, which would be the most uh, important cars to watch. Um, yep. There was also championship battles in other classes as well. Uh, in LMP3, the leading inter-Europol inter car, um, the car leading championship, ground to a halt on the back straight, and that was it. They lost the championship because of that problem uh, on the back straight. They needed the number two Nielsen car to not finish the race, and the number two Nielsen car ended up finishing second. So they took the championship win and with it, the invite to Le Mans. Um, but I think the most impressive run in that race was in LMP3 was the Ace One Veloba Corsa car who dominated, dominated from start to finish. And it was off the back of Alessandro Bressan's first stint that they really just were untouchable. And it was such an impressive showing from them that they actually yeah. ended up finishing second in the championship um, for Veloba Corsa. So, hey, great, great stuff from Veloba Corsa. And I think that was, we, we'd seen glimpses of their pace throughout the series, but that was the first time we really, like, I really sat back and went, wow, that, that car could have been a championship contender. Yeah, it had shades of Ben Keating and LMP2 at Daytona, didn't it? Mm. They just, they just, it, it, they were just unstoppable. Yeah, it looked like it was a different car. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It, it, that's a perfect analogy. It was just a dim, completely different car. Um, and then finally in GT, uh, early casualties for the D Station racing car put it out of the race uh, very early on. Um, J Lock were surprisingly without the pace as well. They just didn't seem to have any sort of challenge throughout the race. Um, so it left the three Ferraris of Hobart, of course, the Car Guy and Spirit of Race as the last true contenders. And as it happened, the uh, Hubble Corsa car just pulled away. And not just pulled away, they ended up finishing a lap ahead of its challenges uh, throughout the race. Um, taking with taking home the win and with it the Le Mans invite for winning the championship. Um, 
so yeah, big big race for Hubbard Corsa because that also had Tim Slade as a sub in for David A. Regon um, in that car because of the the WEC clash as well. So pretty big, uh, pretty big boots to fill for for V8 Supercar driver Tim Slade, and uh, he did a pretty damn good job of it. You got to say again, this is what I wanted. Like this is meeting all of my expectations. It's not it's not stepping over. It's not it's not taking too big of a leap. Not you know. It, we're getting solid racing out of this. I like all the venues, like you know, uh, the coronavirus aside, everything it was go. I, I think it went well for the opening four rounds. Like this, mm. this round was a solid final round to it. Um, you had a really really close race at the end of it for P one. You know, even uh, overall, you had championship. You know, contending. Uh, you know, almost calculating. Um, uh, season ending yeah. points kind of thing at the end of that too so you had kind of what you needed to have for really an exciting championship finish which you would always kind of get with four rounds but um especially with the lmp2 and then uh, you know what you said the lmp3 uh categories we're not talking about am but and i, I like that a lot like yeah. i said this i think this course was really i i enjoyed watching this course because i could just tell how technical it is and how difficult a lot of these um overtakes are especially mm, for traffic yeah. in some of these parts definitely and that definitely would set some of the pace for some of these drivers and what hurt other drivers too mm. yep. so that was the agent one series that was the last race of the series we had of course four rounds of four hours so 16 hours of racing in the end Le Mans invites went to g drive Algarve. well g drive by algarve uh rickware racing nielsen racing and car guy oh sorry Hubbard Corsa as the championship winners and then additional invites went in p2 to Eurasia Motorsport Thunderhead Carlin and then no additional invites for GT or p3 what do you guys think about that do you guys think that is a fair representation of the field at Le Mans, what what are the representatives uh, that were so so uh, so Algarve Algarve technically I think I think technically Algarve go as an ELMS team not as a the winners of the Asian Le Mans series but whatever so it's Carlin and Eurasia uh, Nielsen Racing and uh, Hubbard Corsa so they're the four uh, and Rickware Racing so they're the five teams that are going to Le Mans from the Asian Le Mans series so they took so Algarve is not using this one. They're using the other one, yep. so they aren't using this one. So it goes to the next two, so 45 and 36. Well, see, the thing is, they're not auto-invites. You don't, you don't, just because Algarve declined the auto-invite or got given an invite for another reason, it doesn't mean it immediately goes to the next person or the next team. So okay, it, it was an additional invitation to Thunderhead and to Eurasia. Uh, and then, okay. yeah. um, but on the other hand, in the GT championship, they only gave away the automatic invite um, because I think uh, they rightly understand that the overall uh, championship and the overall category probably needs uh, to be healthy yep. and stays consistently healthy. And I think rewarding the LMP twos before the GTs, unfortunately, even though I think the GT uh, has more category has more uh, professional teams and maybe more deserving teams. I think it's a right move for the series to be rewarding those top teams. Okay. Because uh, you're you're just trying to encourage more entries as much as you can for the top category because that's that's usually what sells uh, more of the fans and a lot more of the uh, excitement. Yeah, so, uh, like I can understand that, but I if I was car guy, I'd be pretty miffed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I but these I believe what that extra invite 
that 40 so did the 45 get the extra invite beforehand or was no. it like 26 didn't decline it and then they're like okay well regardless we're gonna give 45 I, and we'll give 36 an invite too i think thing. i think it was they i think thunderhead were always looking to get an invite out of this series and i think the aco saw that and i think they gave it to them because of their commitment to not only the elms but to the asian Le Mans series as well but as far as the invite for eurasia i um, i'm not sure well, okay, so my, my only other point would be that they are trying to equally equally reward the the championships based on entry, and that's the only thing I can think of. Obviously, GT has, you know, you would say more entries that made the made the season, sort of. But, um, I mean, IMSA gets an auto, they, they get an auto invite, basically, there. Mm. ELMS gets, what, three, or was it four this year? Uh... Two in LMP2, one in LMP3, two in GT. How many in LMP2? Two. Two, two automatically, uh, but they do reward a lot of teams in LMP2. Yeah. So, it's, so it's the same here? Yeah, I get it. Oh, well, no, you only get one. There's only one in... Uh, one auto invite. Well, I mean, I guess technically right. LMP2 they're, they're and... rewarding teams in here. Yeah, for yeah, their that's participation. true. Eurasia showed up with two entries at the, at the last round. So, I mean... There, I think that might be a, a more of a not again. A lot, of, dude. A lot of this, as much as politics, yeah, much as we, yeah, as much as we want to say, it's you know racing, 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 and you guys suck by saying that ACO and you know FI are all politicking. This is part of it. Yeah. What about you? Chris? I think it's good. Yeah, but it's part of it. What about you, Chris? What are your thoughts on who got invites out of this series? Um, I think it's a shame that car guy, you know, didn't make it in. Um, I thought they're pretty strong, but you know. I mean, let's take a look at some of the other teams. I mean, in GT class, I mean, that made it in. Obviously, we have Habato, and no, there's only one. Yeah, no, none of the other GT cars got invites. In fact, only one other GT car made the reserve list, and that, that was, was the uh, D station car. Yeah, and that, that's last on the reserve list, so it's highly unlikely that they'll get into the into the mix. Only one, huh? Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't really need a twenty-car GTM field. Well, these days, really. I, I guess. I guess what we talked about in the Le Mans entries podcast um, last time out was that they like to balance the prototypes and the GTs, and with a much larger GTE pro grid, there is less slots for GTEM entries. But in saying that, though, Car Guy raced last year. They were a really cool team to watch last year. They yes. did really, really yep. well. I they yeah. should definitely have gotten an invite at some point. I would, yeah, yeah I would be disappointed. Um, what about who? What about some chat about the series? Who surprised or impressed you throughout the Asian Le Mans series? Is there any particular team or driver that really stood out to you that said, "Damn, that's cool"? Uh, Ben Barnacote. Ben Barnacote. Yeah, I'll pay that. I I would extend that to even the full. Thunderhead by Colin team. I was solidly yes. impressed by all of them throughout the series. Harry Tinknell making a comeback after you know, I, I, I that's I I'm gonna remember that uh, Mazda Speedway uh, spin, Laguna Seca, that's, yeah. That's the, the Laguna Seca spin there trying to get around what was the disaster show that was that. Oh man, <laughs> was, that, was that even? I think was that even Maldonado in, no, in no, the car? No, no, it was, it was, it was, it was Salvadero. Drove that car, but yeah, it was, it yeah, was Maldonado yeah, and Sal- yeah. Salvadero. But yeah, sorry, getting off topic. But I, yeah, I would also, yeah, 
totally agree to extend it to the 45. They yeah. absolutely pressed me. I saw pace, but didn't think they would have the consistency, which they clearly, clearly show. And they seem very, very confident mm. with their driver lineup. So Nice. What about you, Chris? Who, who surprised or impressed you? I think the biggest surprise for me was Rick Ware Racing actually getting a Le Mans invite. Because take a look at this. So oh, they had God. half the grid, but you had LRM Sport, and then you had the reigning champion, ARC Braslava. They had a tough competition. And they're dipping their feet wet. This is the first time going prototype racing. In theory, in their first season, they shouldn't have this much success. But here we go. Everything just fell in line for them. Because we're not going to... They didn't make this out on pure talent, okay? (laughs) Luck. Luck had a huge factor in this. And now the champions of a ACO series, and they have a Lamont invite in their hand. I hate how patriotic both of you are about this. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. So much. It is probably the least deserved invite ever. Oh, oh man, dude. Like, I, I mean, mean I, we're so flag, boy. Dude, we're from the land of Starton Park, all right? Have you, <laughs> have, has any of the other motorsport world ever heard that term ever? in their life like come on we like we understand and almost sympathize with people that do this kind of stuff and for them to actually show up to something that we, we'd be like you know what if we just chipped in enough money at that local thing and just showed up with like you know enough of our understanding of some background of things maybe we could do something and they actually went out and did it and like the other other people broke down i mean come on Again, it's an American Hollywood success story. All they need to do is go ahead and win Lamar. And they have the tools to do it, by God. No, they're not. So. They're in a Legia. Uh, no, not a Legia. They're in O'Reilly. That's what they're listed well, we as. Just, we just need, we just need that, uh, that stealth Joker 2.0 update. Oh, my God. To, you know, in, in, true, in true back of the field NASCAR fashion, they're going to start and park the 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> just cause Same the first safety. Yeah. It's like I yeah, they interview it was like I rented all this just just for about another thirty more minutes of uh of of engine time. And that's all the she wrote. Dis- I can't I can't run anymore. The disrespect. <laughs> the disrespect. They um, do all the practice too. So it's it's all calculated <laughs> just for the amount of engine hours they had. They for do the, rent they're like they're the only team that runs lap. the full warm up as well. <laughs> yes, yep, do the full Yeah, exactly. You have to do all of it. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, oh, God, that's so funny. That's awful. Um, I'll throw in uh, Sean Tong from the K2 Uchino Motorsports te- uh, team. He His stints uh, at the beginning of the race were up there with some of the best stints I've seen in the series. Um, and I'll also throw in Ace One Velorba Corsa. I was really impressed um, throughout, throughout the Corsa series. I saw them like chipping away at some of the events. Um, like At the bend, they had a really good showing. But then for them to come out and dominate Chang... At uh, the at the Brewerham circuit was just awesome to see, and they they really impressed me throughout the series. And their car looked friggin' awesome as well. That's impressive in good, itself. Good liveries, good yeah. liveries. Um, what about some disappointments of the series uh, of the season? What 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 about this season? The drivers, the teams, the broadcast, the the organization disappointed you uh, throughout the series. How awful the Legees were. Yep, I that pretty much sums it up <laughs> for me. Like really, <laughs> I I love Ligier. I like I like saying the name Ligier. Um, but Ligier, I, yeah, it's a, it's a fun French French uh, car manufacturer, man. Mm. Come on, 
But no, it's uh, surprising to me that uh, really, I would say it's probably the, the third best chassis in the LMP2 category. Should we, should we all at this point agree with that? I mean, nothing nothing hits Riley, whatever Multimatic wants to call it now, but the Riley Mark III chassis, that's, that's, that is yeah. the worst LMP2 2017 chassis that anyone could possibly build. Built. They did it. Yep. This is obviously better than that, but it is not as good as the Delara, I guess, now, clearly. And clearly, it's just not near the Eureka in terms of how consistently they can put down a solid lap time that they can run to that point and not have tires fall off or not have them drive off into a, a sand trap or into a wall. So... Yeah, I would say that's definitely for me pretty yeah. dang disappointing because I I want parity in the LMP2 mm. field and that it's this is clearly showing that those things do not have the ability to do it. Yeah, uh, just a bit of context here. While the number thirty six Eurasia Motorsport did take three second places, uh, we'll go, let's go into a little bit more depth on those three second places. Um, at Shanghai, they were uh, minutes off the pace and got upgraded to second after Thunderhead Carlin took a nine-minute penalty for screwing their driver time up. Uh, at the bend, they, uh, again, were minutes off the pace and got pushed up to seven a second after the sister car broke down. Um, so, you know, you could say that Elysia was in competition at the bend, and that would be 100% correct. At Sepang, they were actually leading the race, and I'll give them that. They were The, the number 36 Eurasian Motorsport car was leading the race and then got a penalty because of uh, the lights on the rear braking. And then at uh, the Chang International Circuit, Ligiers took home the the bottom four positions of the LMP2 class. So it's they in general, I think from both Eurasia and into Europol, they will be looking back at their Asian Le Mans Series campaign and be incredibly disappointed in the results that they received. And and yeah, that, yeah. and let's not forget right. as well. When they were competitive, they suffered problems. So I think Ligier gearboxes in general, both both in P3 and in P2, that would that would have been my dis- biggest biggest disappointment of the season. The fact that we had five gearbox failures over the course of two round uh, two classes in the Asian One Series in in Ligier's. Yeah, it's 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 worrisome. I I think Ligier have the means to do so. They have the you know obviously the affiliations and commitments that they need to be successful um i believe they they are still whatever in the are, are they working with Peugeot still or, or are they uh switching who was that that they were working with uh I... did they switch to Liche because rebellion's not doing it anymore like that kind of thing or i have no idea honestly like I... i've i've pushed um like hypercar chat so far out of my head <laughs> in the past week and yeah, a half I'm, yeah i mean honestly it uh yeah I, I I thought a couple times about how that's going to go down, and I'm definitely who knows. Like we'll we'll have to have a conversation in a month or so when once this thing gets a little bit more out of control, and uh, then we can start doing some wild speculation because I have a feeling that we're going to be needing to do that. Yeah, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But uh, getting back to the point with Ligier, I think that they have the means to produce a a successful platform, but for whatever reason, that 2017 chassis does not do it. The Joker chat, the Joker update did not fix whatever that they were trying to fix, and um, they are yeah. I, I think what you were mentioning is definitely proof that in order to get that pace, they have to push the car 
to pretty absurd lengths where that they're having mechanical failures and and whatnot and the consistent pace where they're having uh at different tracks they're having that reliable um stable chassis is just not there mm. uh okay outside of a, uh, you know they they did do halfway decent at uh at, at Sepang. yeah but intermittent conditions definitely not ideal for what i think the other competitors would have wanted so that might have played into their favor as well again i'm not going to take i'm not going to discredit them for that win or uh for that almost win i guess so but still yeah i I, i'm definitely uh hopeful that they can work out their kinks with the the other stuff because yeah yeah, like i said i just i would like parity with this because if we're only limiting it to four then damn it like we have to make sure that it doesn't just go to one company here, mm. which is what's happening. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and which is what we've seen in Europe as well. Yeah, we're like playing like a mini capitalist like kind of environment here for some reason. Mm. I don't, you know, and it just all is congregating to one thing. And I, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll let like, cookie, we'll let Cookie sort out his own thoughts. Sorry, um, all right, and then let me go ahead and remove that uh, yeah. soapbox. That's right. Okay. No, no, we love your soapbox. We we need to do an episode which is just Cookie soapbox. Um, I don't about- know. That's not going to get a lot of viewership. Yes, I'm just going to guarantee you that. Yeah, no, it'll be great. Um, what oh, about God. what about you, Chris? What what for you was disappointing about the the series? I think the GT class because I mean when I was trying to. Every time they kind of focus on the GTs, everything was kind of spread out. There wasn't really too much close racing going on. That was probably the class I was most excited about coming into it because, you know, we had the Aston Martin, the BMWs, the Ferraris, the J-Lock Lamborghini. Um, I mean, on paper, you see all these different types of winners, and you say, oh, it must have been, you know, pretty good. But, I mean, in reality, it was kind of spread apart and yeah. really no competition yeah. for wins and stuff like that so i think that's that's one thing that disappointed me the most is the gt class yeah and it's interesting that you say that because yeah as you said looking at the the results you see a decent spread of teams and drivers up there but yeah it was it always seemed to be that there was late drama which injected something into the class whereas you know we've become so accustomed to door-to-door racing whether that be in gt3 or gte around the world as being the typical nature of the class so yeah i i agree g uh g the gt class was kind of lame but i would specifically like to point out the d station racing amr i think their campaign significantly disappointed me personally and their um and it was a disappointing showing for the aston martin i thought i would have thought that aston martin would have been a lot more uh in a lot more of the battles, um, but they seem to find ways to to get, like, I mean, admittedly at the bend they got taken out by Jack Manchester, which is not ideal. Uh, but like, yeah, it just it just seemed that they didn't. Uh, the last half of the season for them just didn't go the way that they wanted to. Now this is a, now that we're at the the end of the Asian Le Mans series, and who knows what's going to happen next. I want to have a, a, pose to you a little bit of a discussion on the competitiveness of the Asian Le Mans series. So we've. The Asian Le Mans series come a long way uh, since it started. You know, when, when we first started to see the Asian Le Mans series pop up on our radar, it had no English commentary. It was oftentimes locked behind, like, weird... It was streamed on weird Chinese websites and, you know, didn't really have that sort of grids or uh, investment behind it. But already in three or four short seasons, it's become 
uh, a part of the, a proper part of the ACO family. It's got a proper broadcast team behind it and decent teams that are making a name for themselves. Not only teams coming from Europe to make a name for themselves, but also Asian-based teams in prototypes as well, which apparently is not where the market share is. So that's very impressive. But I want to pose to you, how do you rate the competitiveness of the Asian Le Mans series in comparison to other ACO events and other racing around the world, where where would you sit it? Would you say yeah? Where would you sit it? This is this is an open question, open um, discussion. Go 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 for your life. Get that soapbox out, Cookie. Get it out. Uh, above VLN, not Nurburgring Twenty Four, and above British GT. Okay, interesting slot. What makes you say that? Um, I. I think the SRO and IGTC um, affiliates, that kind of stuff, uh, just has the the big marks to it. Um, they have factory affiliation. Yep. Um, so I think for this one, it slots in there. ELMS, it stands out as different because it doesn't really have a ton of factory affiliation. They're kind of like just like trickle downs from the factory affiliations at, at Lamar, uh, IMSA and NWC, but the amount of com- competition and the wealth of the series and the amount of participants in it, like absolutely. And the, just the level of competition itself lends itself to probably being, a, you know, better than the uh, SRL and just cause it has prototypes. Yeah. So, uh, and you'll I, I give it that enough. Yeah. But getting back to the question, Asian Le Mans series, I would definitely put it there just because <clears throat> it's it has the potential to be more well known and it has the uh, the potential to kind of like be something that somebody can like recognize kind of that thing. Because I think British GT is still in that realm of like it's really good at racing, it's really good at racing, but you gotta like you gotta hunt it down, you gotta find it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um and same a little bit with VLN. In that regard, in terms of sports, sports cars, I don't want to go for regular racing. Yeah, so yeah I would, okay, I would put it around there. But I, the competitiveness is there, just because you, you're, you're, we're having more than five entries per per cat per class, mostly, um, and they're showing up with the right amount of tires and spare parts. So you're going to find some competition there. And I mean, we're we're seeing international. Um, entries in this category, which are allowing you to have a good quality field and good comparison to these other category, uh, to these other uh, series. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I like I will keep saying, and I've been saying earlier on, it's it was exactly what I think Asian Le Mans series needed out of this first season with these 2017 LMP2 chassis. They they just need a solid season where they didn't have huge 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 accidents with these cars. Um, or you had some controversy with it or, you know, for whatever reason you had rounds canceled or, or whatever, they didn't need a hiccup and they didn't really get any besides Sepang. I think that besides, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely. So, but besides a bit, they worked around it and sterling job for them. So, but I think, yeah, I, I think it was a solid, solid round. Yeah. I, that's where I would pair it right now. If you ask me. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like where the European Le Mans series was five or six years ago when it was just you know starting to ping my radar and uh, as being something that i should should be watching there's it certainly well well it certainly needs uh, probably a few more cars um probably needs a few more teams especially maybe in uh in the top class and in gt and there is still a ways to go in terms of the racing action and competitiveness but it's certainly decent watching and decent viewing it's not like there's nothing going on 
Um, what about you, Chris? What? Are, where would you put it in your hierarchy of obscure motorsports? Oh, let's see here. I think I put it above. Uh, well, I put it above series like international GT Open um, stuff like that, like the uh, the second hand GT series that you know that normally don't have like the names in them. Asian, I put Asian Le Mans. It's kind of below like VLN and SRO because he's a, Asian Le Mans. It's still relatively new. While the others, they've been in the game for for the longest time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, VL, VLN, uh, although the you know it only has the uh, Grand Prix circuit on the cameras, uh, it still has you know Black Falcon and Falcon Porsche and uh, Manti Racing. Those big names. Um, and Porsche factory drivers, Mercedes factory drivers, lots of those are really big names that you know go on and win you know the most the biggest endurance races of the year. Yeah. So Asian and Asian Mon series still has a lot of work to go. Uh, the fact that they have YouTube live streaming helps a ton. Yeah. Um, I'll, you, I'll you, agree with you that. Said, you said you said five to six years ago, European Le Mans series. Five six years ago, your European Le Mans series was on daily motion, and did they even have I remember 2013, 2014. I don't think they even had a replay of the race after it was live streamed. But not, then they had daily motion live streams in 25th. I'm not sure they had it in 2015. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they they started to do replays, which helped the series a ton because not a lot of people could go out and watch it live. Um, yep. Especially for me because it was so early in the morning. Now the fact that they moved to YouTube streaming, WEC too. Uh, well, not YouTube streaming, but uploading the races onto YouTube, it's helped a ton because YouTube is the main thing. Who goes on Daily Motion? Nobody. <laughs> so the fact that you know they're able to get on YouTube, live stream it on a readily available site that everybody is able to use—you know, mobile phone, laptop, tablet, computer—it's it, it, helped both European Le Mans series and Asian Le Mans series out of town. And I think if you know, if they still kept, because remember, the first couple seasons of the Asian Le Mans series, they're only like, you know, half hour, hour highlight broadcast. Mm. And they only had like so, 10, 10 or 11 cars for those first few series. Yeah. Mm. The only good thing that came out of those years of Asian Le Mans series was that they had run at this, uh, the, the NG Speedium circuit in South Korea, which I generally enjoy that circuit and wish they would come back. <laughs> but Fair enough. The fact that first full year, I think this is their second year doing full-on broadcast, but a much better grid of cars and much more professional. They got the kinks out of the broadcasting, except with Sepang. I think this is a very good year. I think as years go on by, if this, uh, unfortunately, this COVID-19 situation, if this can, if this is able to, um, able to be over by the time the next season will start, if we get a solid grid, I think it would solidly work its way up at the class in the orders of sports car racing. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's certainly certainly not the ELMS yet. Uh, like, you know, the fact that ELMS almost has 20 cars of P2s is just crazy and puts the racing on just completely another level. But it, it's encouraging signs. It's a, good, it's a good starting point to really launch into something a bit bigger. And I think a, a lot of work has been done to get to this point. A lot of work still needs to be done, but it's all been good work. And I think... Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with what both of you have said. 
Um, now, just before we we finish up and talk a little bit about next season, I just want to uh, want you guys to share maybe some of your moments of the series uh, for for 2019-2020. What what for you when you think back on on the Asian Le Mans series for 2019-2020? If you had to give uh, like a highlight reel to someone who wanted to get into the series, what would you mention? I think it's hard not to uh, put Sepang on that one. This this is the the chaos of it all. The fact you know a major storm just comes in right before they're about to start, and you know the effect it had on the, the TV crew, how they only get to get three cameras. I mean, that's like might not be the best thing to get people to watch, but it's like the chaos of it all is just what brought brought me into that situation because it's something that rarely ever happens yeah that you'll you won't yeah. probably never see for a couple of years yeah I, I that's that that's definitely something that you would have to mention yeah what about you cookie what, what for you was your moment of the season oh man <clears throat> just teed it up for me I, I i do appreciate it chris uh the first round even though it did not stand the uh, last lap pass for the uh win from harry Tigno with uh thunderhill at Shanghai, that was definitely going to be in my highlight reel, regardless of whether or not uh, the victor ended up passing for the win. Um, just because I, I think that's that's what the series needed. It definitely needed a, a really exciting finish that it got there, and um, and it definitely appeased a lot of us fans of, I guess, <laughs> the Davids, not the Goliaths, which uh, it's weird to say when it, when we're talking about LMP2 chassis manufacturers, but yep. it really kind of just seems like that. And G-Drive but, as well. Uh, Let's not forget G-Drive. Yeah, and G-Drive. They're, they're definitely, it, it feels like a little evil empire, kind of dark, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> a little Death Star going on. But uh, no, yeah, that's that would that would definitely be going on my uh, 2019 highlight reel for sure for uh for some of the passes, at least. Nice. Um, oh, I'd like to chuck in, uh, in addition to both of those, but I think are very, very good points. Uh, the Nick Cassidy and Shane Van Gisbergen battles versus uh, Leonard Hergenboom and uh, Roman Rusinov in at the bend when they came up on traffic on the back half of the circuit there, where it was just try, it basically trying to sweep each other around the outside and then coming back on, doing cutbacks and all that sort of stuff. It reminded me of like the 2015 Silverstone WEC race between the Audi and the Porsche where they would tra- trade lead like every corner almost like that that was that that was what it reminded me of and that was probably one of my moments of the season just being being there being able to watch that live in the in the room with everyone else that was really really cool that's a good moment yeah brilliant so that was the Asian Le Mans series for 2019 and 2020 so if you have missed it now is the perfect time to catch up on it now that you've, uh, a lot of people have plenty of time on their hands. Um, so it was de- definitely well worth a, a rewatch if you missed it. Um, next season, the series will be going back to uh, back to Japan, going to Suzuka to open up the series, assuming it all it all stays on schedule. Um, there's been a, there'll be a slight change to the auto invite structure. It'll go based on to class entries, same as the European Le Mans series next year. So basically, the TLDR for that is bigger class, more auto entries. Um, so I think the difference would be that you would get two GT automatic and and invites. Um, with the number of GT cars we had this season, whereas, of course, this year, as we've made mention, they only invited one car from the GT class. Um, So, yeah, that was the 2019-2020 Asian Le Mans series. As far as what happens now, who 
in God's name knows, to be honest. Um, we will continue to try and bring you some sort of content. Um, we might be moving to some shorter episodes, some more free-form discussion, just kind of talking, talking shit, basically, what we do best. Um, as far as... Speculation. Yeah. Financial speculation. I mean, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking uh, just series institutional speculation i mean let's talk about teams let's talk about aerodynamics let's talk about the the all the limitations of physics and of <laughs> fine of money uh, and r&d and what we can do with like fluid dynamics and how that evolves and how many employees make a difference when it comes to performance all that let's do it i'm i'm we're just gonna we make at least a dozen episodes <laughs> On top of that, we'll have some, you know, general endurance chat banter. We'll try and do some, like, maybe classic rewatches or reports on old events. Or, I don't know, we'll figure something out. Um, in the meantime, though, thank you very much, Austin and Chris, for your uh, for joining me tonight. Thank you for, for hosting. Yeah, no problem. And thank you very much for listening. Um, yeah, it's this is a weird time, but make sure to take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll get through this all together. I'm Marcus Alvari. Peace out. Kazoo! Wash your Lad, this is this is what we're gonna be for the next six months. Just winging it and pulling sh- straight out of our butthole. Just right I up hope the butthole. Somebody is recording. I was. I was in fact yes. recording that. That's Great. gonna become our new theme song. Just no, it's not. Straight out the not butthole. Not a chance. Nope, not gonna happen. Straight out the butthole. <laughs> no, nope, we're gonna do that one more time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you know what was an interesting thought I had like yesterday. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking about this. I am now the same age that you were when we first started doing WEC stuff together. Oh man, I've see, I've thought about that shit in 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 your shoes, and now that makes me feel old for no reason. So fuck you. Uh, <laughs> no problem. What's that? What's that father song that's like super sad, like that? But he's not Cats there. in the Cats cradle in the, the silver stone. Yeah, there you go, yeah, there you go. Little boy Bill and the man on the moon. There you go. See, look, look, look that, that song is probably the like... reason why for is why for Nissan's downfall. Oh yeah, cause shit, that was the <laughs> Nissan. Oh wow, geez, that's going back uh, in the archives. We should put that on the rewatch, like the Nissan LMP1, <laughs> uh, like Super Bowl ad. Just be like, remember when, guys? Remember when? <laughs>